Okay, so the, this morning we're on the final part uh, of our Advent series. Uh, we've spent time through this season of Advent uh, seeing more clearly how uh, God has a plan. That was week one. God has a people, God has a purpose, and God has a promise. This is the last sort of four messages we've looked at. Uh, this morning is Christmas Eve morning. Happy Christmas. Uh, after our service, as I said, we're going to have lunch together, so do, do stay afterwards. Uh, we're going to have a time of, of fellowship and food. Uh, then after the lunch, uh, some of the guys are going to be running out and getting Christmas presents, most likely, before, before the shops close at 5 p.m. Um, probably should have mentioned that as part of intercessory prayer, but I've not done that. So, um, But as we sit in this Advent season uh, together, in light of all that has passed, both individually and collectively as a church, uh, I wonder how you have found uh, this Advent season. How have you found it? Uh, my earnest prayer is that it's been uh, meaningful, it's been purposeful, it's been valuable uh, as we think about both what, what we do at Christmas and why uh, we do it. Uh, I'm thankful for two things that have been central uh, to all that has taken place uh, during this season. Uh, in my own life, I've just been really thankful for the gift of prayer and the gift of God's word. Uh, in every detail of this Advent season, um, I believe that we have sought God uh, through prayer as a church. I've seen this in so many different examples. Um, but we've also grounded ourselves on the word of God. Um, and so my encouragement to us this morning is that we would let how it is we have lived out this Advent uh, so that it might become a picture of 2024 as well. As we have sought God in prayer, as we have found ourselves rooted in his word, my own prayer is that this would be a picture of next year as well. And all that next year might throw at us, the good and the bad, because every single year has good moments and more challenging moments, more difficult moments. My prayer is that we would be a people in 2024 who are in prayer and in God's word. Uh, we seek the Lord through prayer. We ground ourselves in his word. And we do so because of grace. Uh, grace is this. God first loved us. God first loved us and showed his mercy towards each one of us. Uh, when I think of this past Advent, one of the highlights was the wee Advent devotional, uh, which many of us did together and are doing as a church family. It's still ongoing. Um, as I say, that I'm aware of the fact that some of you might be wondering where that, that book came from, um, who wrote that book, uh, whether or not we were breaking copyright law by sending the, the pages every day. Uh, the answer to those questions in that, or in that order would be, it was an e-book, it was completely free, written by John Piper, and we weren't breaking any laws, praise God for that. Um, but it was just so good for us to be able to take time to, to really each day understand something more of what the Christmas message is all about. And last week in the devotional, uh, I was really struck by a quote that Piper shared from the 16th century mission, missionary, Francis Xavier. Uh, and I share this recognizing this is going to be really helpful for us uh, as we look ahead to digging into God's word this morning. And Xavier wrote this. He said, the danger of all dangers would be to lose trust and confidence in the mercy of God. To distrust him would be a far more terrible thing than any physical evil which all the enemies of God put together could inflict on us. For without God's permission, neither the devils nor their human ministers could hinder us in the slightest degree. Uh, last week, 
that quote, that day's devotional as a whole, it really spoke to me. It jumped out on the page. It sat in my soul until I had to make a conscious decision to stop distrusting God in certain areas and to start trusting God. Uh, I was really challenged by this quote and by that devotional. Uh, God really spoke to me in the middle of what I found myself in. Uh, and I was deeply thankful for the ministry of that wee devotional. Uh, and I have been deeply thankful throughout the days. And I just want to encourage you this Christmas Eve. God is still in the business of speaking to us through his word, uh, through his bride, uh, the church, uh, through our circumstances as we're led by the Holy Spirit. And as I encourage you with that, I also want to ask you the question this morning, are you listening? Are you open to how it is that God is speaking to you uh, today? And what is it God is saying uh, to each one of us? It's one thing that God speaks to us. It's another thing, us being open and receptive to the ways in which God is at work and the ways in which God is speaking. And what we're going to do this morning is continue that connection with our Advent devotional, Good News of Great Joy. And we're going to focus in on what our three points that Piper speaks about from today's devotional. And spoiler alert, tomorrow's as well. Um, he basically covers the same point over two days. And we're going to take some time to camp out on these three points uh, this morning as a church. And these points we find in two passages of Scripture. In 1 John 2 and verses 1 to 2. And in 1 John 3 and verses 7 to 8. So let's, let's read these passages together. Let's begin in that order, starting in 1 John 2. Verses 1 to 2, John writes this. My little children, I am writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. Amen. And then 1 John 3, verses 7 to 8, John says this. Little children, let no one deceive you. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who commits sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the devil's works. So, Father, we, we thank you for your word, and we, we just want to pray that you would speak to us now through these two small passages. We, we pray that you would guide us. Lord, I pray that you would remove any distractions in our hearts and minds, and I pray that by your Spirit you would you would challenge, you would convict, and you would call us to a life with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I recognize that I'm probably not going to be the most popular person in the room this morning. Uh, and I say that because I'm going to talk about that one thing that no one ever wants to talk about, ever. Sin. No one wants to talk about sin, but I'm going to talk about sin today. Uh, and I want to talk about sin at this time of year. And as I say that, I want us to recognize that sin and the solution to sin is in fact very Christmassy. Um, because it's everywhere at this time of year. Sin is everywhere. In fact, people kind of ramp up their sin levels a few notches. But also because the answer to that problem of sin that we have is found in the story of Christmas. Um, and that helps us solve the problem of sin that we all carry in our lives. Sin is when we fall short of God's standard. God has a perfect plan and purpose for our lives. And we have all chosen to say no to that. To, to go our own way. To do our own thing. To say, I'm going to find greater satisfaction. Or I believe I'm going to find more satisfaction in this thing 
than in, in our relationship with God himself. Uh, Pauline and I were in Asda in the Parkhead Forge on Thursday, and it's not, it's not somewhere I would recommend you go at the business end of the Christmas season. Um, every now and then, it has the potential to all kick off. And it didn't kick off in Asda, but it did in Costa later, and I was on the table beside where it was all kicking off, kicking off for the Americans here. Um, so we were in Asda, and of course, we were in the chocolate aisle. Where else would you be in Asda five days before Christmas? Uh, we were in the chocolate aisle, trying to work out which box of chocolates would be the cheapest, the best, sorry, to buy for our extended family. Uh, and this older daughter, probably in her late teens, early 20s, she was holding a box of chocolates in her hand. She said to her mum, obviously try to buy a gift for someone. Um, I don't know if I'm going to like this. To which her mum very quickly snapped back. Who cares if you like it or not? We're just going to have to grin and bear it. And we looked at her, we started laughing, but she was deadly serious. She didn't laugh at all. There was no thought behind this gift. It was just grab something off a shelf, run to the counter, wrap it the next day. And for the record, I've never done that before in my life. Um, picking up the first thing you see in the shelf and then running to the checkout, that's completely alien to me, just, just so you know. That's sarcasm, by the way, so. <laughs> uh, all joking aside, that may be what we find ourselves doing when it comes to the gifts that we give, whether at Christmas or even at any time in the year. We can just grab something and there's no real meaning or purpose behind it. But not so with God. The gifts that God gives to each one of us uh, are varied. God has varied gifts for us. But they're also abundant in generosity. God blesses us in incredible ways. And they are deeply purposeful. Unlike that lady, God has put his whole heart behind the gifts that he gives to each one of us. God has thought about each and every gift that he gives to us. And he does so for our own good. It's for our own benefit. And it's for God's glory. And if I was to summarize this morning the various blessings and gifts that God gives to us, I would go back to that word grace. Uh, that, that word grace summarizes all the ways in which God blesses us. Every single gift of God is a grace gift. Grace is undeserved favor. We have been blessed in a measure and a manner that none of us should ever have been able to receive. And yet God decided to give. God decided to bless. And he did so because he loves each one of us. And the Apostle Paul summarizes what God's grace does to us in his letter to Titus. And in chapter 2, in verses 11 to 12, he writes this. He says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. In other words, relationship with God is available through the grace of God. Instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age. So the solution to our problem of sin is found in God's grace. It's not found within ourselves. It's found in God's grace towards us. And that frees us to sin no more, to say no to sin, and to live joyfully and wholeheartedly for God. Grace means we can say no to sin and yes to his will. So let me ask you this morning, is there a better gift than that? Is there a better gift than God's grace? Is there anything this Christmas 
that could ever match that gift? Is there anything that could match that kind of gift? Maybe you're not fully convinced of this in your heart this morning, and this is why I'm here. I want to show you why the grace of God is the greatest gift of all this Christmas. And to do that, I want to separate God's grace into, into three and show you three ways or three different gifts which highlight how we're blessed and we're abundantly blessed. Uh, and this morning we can choose to rest in these three gifts and we can do so because they're God's idea. God has the very best for each one of us. And the invitation to you is to rest in these gifts, to live by these gifts to experience these gifts, not just for Christmas, but for the rest of your life, because this is why you live. This is why you're here. We do not live for anything else, or we ought not to live for anything else apart from God's grace and goodness. Your reason for living is not about anything that the world might say it's for. It's what God says, and we think what God says in his word. So let's have a look at the first gift that we can rest in this Christmas and in this life that God has given to us. Gift number one, is this, because of God's grace, you do not have to keep sinning. You do not have to keep sinning. That's a gift. Amen. We no longer have to keep sinning. Because of Christmas, because of what God has done for us by sending his son, his one and only son, to die for us and to rise from the dead, there is now nothing in heaven or on earth which will force us or cause us to have to sin. God has opened the door for each one of us not to sin anymore. And many of us have heard that before on many occasions, but I wonder if we understand the full force of what this means and the implications for our lives. The fact that we no longer need to sin, do we fully understand what this means? Now this gift, you do not have to keep sinning, does not mean that we will not of our own volition choose to sin. doesn't mean that, because we all have that nature within us that makes a choice to sin. But the fact of the matter is the power of sin is no longer over anybody who has faith in Jesus. And I don't know about you, but that is a gift of all gifts this Christmas. To be no longer under the will and desire of our own flesh and the devil, that's life-changing, or it ought to be life-changing for us. And we know this to be true because of what we read in 1 John 3. In the second part of verse 8, John writes this. He says, The Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the devil's works. And the devil's work, the devil was real. He is a person. He is at work in our world and in our lives. And his work is this, to tempt you to sin, to cause you to sin, to cause you to sin again. And often with the same sin or the same kinds of sin, because there's nothing he loves more than habitual sin. And then to accuse you of the sins you have committed so that you then experience shame and sorrow, which then causes you to sin more and more. So it's this vicious cycle. This is what the devil does. And he's at work both before you sin, during your sin, during your sin, and after you sin. And his plan in all of this is quite simple. Destruction. He wants to destroy you. Now we know from John that this idea of the devil's work can be defined as him causing us to sin, leading to our destruction because of the context of 1 John 3 in the second part of verse 8, John uses a phrase, was revealed in two places, not only in verse 8, but also in verse 5 of chapter 3. And his point in, the, in this chapter is that the work of the devil was a work of sin. That's his point. So 1 John 3, 5, we read this. 
you know that he was revealed, that phrase, he was revealed. He was revealed so that he might take away sins. Jesus was revealed so that he would take away sins and there is no sin in him. And in 1 John 3, 8, again, that phrase was revealed. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the devil's work. This is what John Piper says in his devotional, Good News of Great Joy. With regards to this verse, he writes this, The issue in this context is sinning. Not sickness or broken cars or messed up schedules. Jesus came into the world to enable us to stop sinning. And when we stop sinning, we are no longer doing the devil's work. Praise God for that. When we choose not to sin, we're no longer doing the devil's work. And alongside these words, I want us to take note of the immediate context of 1 John 3 in the second part of verse 8. And to look at 1 John 3, 7 through to the first part of verse 8, we read this. Little children, let no one deceive you. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who commits sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. So John is crystal, is crystal clear for us. The true test as to whether or not we're in Christ is the way in which we live. We can understand who we are by how we live. It's very black and white for us this morning, or it ought to be black and white for us. The righteous will live righteously, and the unrighteous will live unrighteously. How we live doesn't determine whether or not we're righteous, but how we live reveals whether or not we're righteous, and that is so, so important. How you live doesn't determine whether or not you're righteous, but how you live reveals what's already happening in your life. Now, that doesn't mean that, that Christians will never struggle with sin, because hands up, we all struggle with sin. It doesn't mean that we're, that we're never going to struggle with habitual sin. We're never going to experience the battle between righteousness and unrighteousness each and every day. No, we all experience that struggle. We can all recognize that. We all know the battle we face. It's a regular battle. It's a daily struggle. It's something we constantly and consciously need to seek God and his help with. But John's point here is that if you really do get what God in Christ has done for you, if you really do understand this and you really have received it, and if you really do have the Holy Spirit living within you, then there will be clear evidence of righteous living. If you have a good root, then you will display good fruit through the life that God has given to you. And all of this is precisely why John writes what he writes in 1 John 2 in the first part of verse 1. He says, My little children, I am writing you these things so that you may not sin. So he recognizes that we all have the potential to sin, even when we're in Christ. And so he writes what he writes and he encourages in the way that he encourages in order that we might not sin. So the door has been opened in Christ for us to choose a life of righteousness and not a life of unrighteousness. Jesus has made that possible. Jesus has destroyed the devil's work. And praise God for that. That's an incredible gift. But what if we do sin? What if we do sin? What about that? If we now have this relationship with Christ and we have the power to not sin and yet we still do sin, how are we to get around that? And this brings us on to our second gift this Christmas and one which is very practical for each one of us. Gift number two, if you do sin, you will be forgiven of your sin. So if we do sin, we will still be forgiven. Amen for that. Uh, not just some of your sin, 
not just certain sins, all of your sin, all of your sin. Let's have a look together at what John writes in 1 John 2. In the second part of verse 1 and the first part of verse 2, we read this. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate, Jesus, with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now, there's a number of us here this morning who are in Christ, who are Christians. And if you are a Christian this morning, then this is what your life story has looked like up until this point today. Uh, we all began completely dead in our sin, spiritual death leading to physical death, which would one day lead to eternal death. And God in Christ, he stepped in and he took this death penalty that we had upon ourselves and he died for that. He died for our sins, past, present and future. And now we have a life today and a future tomorrow that is defined not by our own sin, but by his love and righteousness. Our sin has been transferred onto Jesus. He took it. He died for it. He is our atoning sacrifice. He rose from the dead, meaning that the power of sin is no longer over us. And in return, through this great, this great exchange, he gave us his righteousness, a righteousness that is both imputed and imparted. God has made us good by status and God has empowered us to be good as well. So this is a second great gift for us at Christmas and it's for everyone who professes faith. So I wonder this morning, have you, have you done this? Have you professed faith in Christ? And if you've not, if you've not chosen to make Jesus number one in your life, what is stopping you today? What is stopping you from making Jesus Lord? I want to give you this invitation. And I hand out this invitation to anyone here who has yet to come to Christ. And what better time to do it than on Christmas Eve? What a great day that would be to say that you came to faith in Jesus on Christmas Eve. And by becoming a Christian, you're not just mentally agreeing to follow him. That's not what being a Christian is. It's not kind of intellectual assent what you believe to be true. No, you're actually saying from the inside out, from your heart, with all that you are, as God is at work in you, I can't get through another day without Jesus. I need Jesus more than anything else. Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. I believe in what you've done for me. I trust you now and I trust you for the rest of my life. So I invite you, if you've yet to put your faith in Christ, Make a decision today. Follow him. And speak with us after the service. There are many people here who would love to talk with you and share with you of how Jesus has made a difference to their lives. There are many testimonies in this room which highlight a clear before and after, who they were before Christ and who they now are as a result of Christ. And I would encourage you to chat to those folk um, because it's the most important thing in this life it is the greatest gift that we could ever receive a relationship with Jesus and if you're not sure who to speak to speak to me I can talk with you I can pray with you or I can signpost you to someone else who can talk to you as John highlights here from these verses the relationship we have with Christ means he is always going to forgive us of our sins and I think there's some believers here today that need to hear that as well I think you're maybe holding on to a sin or sins and you're saying in your head, 
I can't be forgiven of, of what it is I've done. But understand this Christmas and for the rest of your life, God has forgiven you of all of your sin, every sin, every single sin. He died on the cross and he said it is finished. It's finished. You don't need to carry whatever it is you're carrying today. You can let it go and give it to him. And does that mean we have license now? If we have been forgiven past, present, future, does that mean we have license to keep on sinning? No, absolutely not. That would highlight we have never understood his grace in the first place. Because in his love, he has forgiven us. And when we come to faith in Christ, we respond in love towards him. So we can't hurt he who we now love. What it means is that we can have confidence and courage to live for God because Jesus has paid it all. God makes it possible for us not to sin. He also forgives us if we do sin. And this leads us on to the final gift that I want us just to highlight. Gift number three. He will help you in your fight against sin. So alongside the fact that sin's power has been defeated and we will always be forgiven of our sin, we also need to take hold of the fact that God will help us. He's going to help us in our fight against sin. He is with us in the fight. He has given us everything we need to overcome this sin. And he not only makes it possible for us not to sin, he not only forgives us if we do sin, he draws alongside us in the battle. And he gives us all that we need every single day, every single moment, in every single situation and circumstance. And John tells us from our verses this morning that the church he's writing to are his children. It's quite an interesting phrase. He says, my children. But he also says, my little children, his little children. And I find it hard standing up here and calling you guys, my children, my little children. It just sounds a bit weird. Maybe it's because I'm Scottish. I don't know why. But John says this, and there's a reason why he says children and little children. He says that because he loves these people. He loves the people that he's writing to. And he loves every single one of those that God has entrusted him to. And why does John love the church? Why does he love the church? He loves the church because God in Christ first loved him. This love has been transferred. He's loving the people that God has given him to. And it's because God first loved him. Vertical love leading to horizontal love. And the love relationship he has with God is overflowing into a love relationship he has with the people that God has entrusted him to. And here we get a glimpse, a window into the Christian life. We do not fight this battle alone. Understand that this morning. You do not fight this battle by yourself, ever. We have God. God is at work through his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells within us so that we can say no to sin and yes to him. But we also have one another, we are here today. We have his brain, the head and the body. The church helps us, or the church ought to help us as we go through difficult times. <laughs> this Christmas, I want to invite you, I want you just to rest on these powerful words from Paul, which connects the relationship we have with God and our own personal fight against sin. Paul says this in Romans chapter 8 in verses 12 to 13. He says, so then, brothers and sisters, <clears throat> we are not obligated, obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. <laughs> In other words, 
what's Paul saying here? He's saying the exact same thing that John's saying. We no longer have to sin. You're now part of God's family. You do not have to do it. Why? Verse 13. Because if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. You do not have to sin because you are a son and daughter of God. Your relationship with God, that, that identity as a son or a daughter, means you have the Holy Spirit. And if you have the Holy Spirit, then you have everything you need to overcome this sin fight that you're in. This is Paul's logic. Meaning that one of, one of the most important prayers that you can pray when you feel tempted to sin, when you're struggling in your fight against sin, one of the most important prayers you can pray is this. God, by your spirit, I am your child. Please help me. By your spirit, help me. Give me the strength to overcome this, this temptation I have to sin right now. We can do that today. We have access to the Father through the Son and we have the Holy Spirit working in us. God, help me. Come, Holy Spirit, help me. Help me to overcome this sin that I'm facing. And you can pray that today. You can pray that this Christmas. You can pray that for the rest of your life. And as John says in 1 John 4, 4, very much echoing Paul, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Let's just say that together as a church family. After three, one, two, three. The one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. The power of the Holy Spirit is greater than the power of sin. The power of God's Spirit is greater than the power of sin. Take stock of what it is that Piper writes, and you may or may not read this in your devotional tomorrow. Um, he says this, Jesus is alive. Jesus is almighty. Jesus lives in us by faith and Jesus is for us and not against us. He will help you in your fight with sin in the new year. Trust him. Trust him. So this Christmas Eve, these are the three gifts I present you with. Uh, the gift of no longer having to sin. Uh, the gift of being forgiven if you do sin. And the gift of receiving God's help in our battle against sin. Questions I want to leave you with are, do you want to receive these gifts today? Do you want to open these gifts today? Uh, do you want these gifts to be the central reality of your life today and for the rest of your life? There is blessing upon blessing when you have a life that is determined to fight sin. But I don't want you to miss out on the fact that there is a cost. There's a cost. There is always a cost in following Jesus. And the cost is found in 1 Peter 4, 1. Uh, Peter speaks about the example of Christ. He was someone who, who lived a perfect life and who did not sin. And this, this then shows us what it means for each one of us. Each one of us. So Peter says this, Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, Arm yourselves also with the same understanding. And the key phrase is the last one. Because the one who suffers in the flesh is finished with sin. The one who suffers in the flesh is finished with sin.
So to choose a life that's wholeheartedly determined to, to no longer sin is to choose a life that will suffer. So don't be surprised if you suffer because you say no to sin. That's, that's kind of part of the package. And I love how Peter, Peter puts it here. If you're someone who suffers for the sake of Christ, then you are finished, completely finished with sin. I'm no longer going to do this or think this way. I'm going to pursue a life with Christ. And yes, I will suffer, but it will be worth it. And as I suffer, I'll become more and more like Jesus. To be finished with sin is to say that my desire is to love God, to put him first. It's greater. My desire to put him first is greater than my desire to do my own thing and do my own way. Hence, I will suffer. Sorrowful, sorrowful yet always rejoicing. That's the Christian paradox. That's the Christian life. And that's the life we've all been called to. So, I know it wasn't a very Christmas Eve message this morning, but I'll leave that with you. It's John Piper's fault. Uh, I'll leave that with you as we embark upon our Christmas celebration tomorrow. Uh, greater than anything you might receive tomorrow is a gift of a relationship with God. The opportunity all of us have to have a new life. A life that says no to sin and yes to Jesus. A life that is marked not by the flesh, but by the Spirit. And this morning, we do want to give opportunity to, to respond. Uh, we're going to respond through song in a moment. So we're going to sing again. Um, and as we do that, I just want you to just to give God thanks for the fact that, that we have these free gifts. Give God thanks that we can, we can live a life of goodness and righteousness in him through this Christmas celebration. But we're also going to respond, as we always do as a church family, by coming to the table. Uh, this table represents uh, why it is we can find victory in our battle against sin. So we come to this table and we can remember Christ's perfect, perfect sacrifice for each one of us on the cross. It's a moment to remember his great love for us, but it's also a moment to reflect on whether or not you need to confess sin today. So before you come to this table, if you love Jesus, just take a moment to assess your own life and just to see if there's anything that you're harboring which does not glorify God, is not worthy of God. This table is for anyone who would say, I belong to Jesus. And for anyone who's not sure, maybe you're still on a journey of faith, maybe you're still trying to work things out, uh, we would invite you not to come to this table. Um, instead, our invitation is that you observe and you pray and you ask that God would reveal his love and grace to you in increasing measure. So that's our invitation to you, to sing, to come to this table, to receive prayer uh, after our time. As we have lunch, if you would like to receive prayer, then do speak to me. But we do all of this because, how, because of how good and generous God has been to us. And we see this so clearly through this table. It was on the night in which he was betrayed that Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. In the same way, he took the cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink this, do so in remembrance of me. For as often as we take this bread and drink this cup, we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he returns. 
Advent. That's Advent. We are anticipating Christ's return. What a gift. Let's pray together. Father, we, we thank you that, that we can come to you today and that we can, we can worship you with all that we are. And, and Lord, I just pray that you would bring conviction to our hearts. Convict us of the ways in which we have been half-hearted. Convict us of the ways in which we do fall short. Lord, would you reveal the sin in our lives and help us to know that, that you and you alone are faithful and just to forgive us of all sin, to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And as we have been forgiven, Lord, I pray that we would now be free to live for you, to enjoy you, to find our deepest satisfaction in you. And yes, we may suffer, and yes, we will suffer, but Lord, I pray that we would know your nearness and we would experience the intimacy we can have through a relationship with you because we have chosen to suffer instead of choosing to sin. So bless us now, be with us, and bless us, Lord, as we now have, have lunch as well and as we, we have a time of fellowship, help us in that time. And Lord, as we continue on in our Christmas celebration tomorrow, bless us as we spend time with family and friends. Guide us, Lord, and lead us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.